I think we're set now. All right. Yeah. Everything sounds yeah. good on my end. So there we go. Yeah. All right. Okay. So yeah, no, uh, thank you for having me on there. I wasn't, uh, um, first of all, I got to thank you again for your donation with the Kenny Irwin foundation on the, uh, the auction there. And, uh, that was really cool. I hope, uh, I definitely made sure to send over the, uh, the information there to you. So they, got the donation made in your name and everything. So uh, yeah. much, much well, appreciated. Yeah. Thank you. And uh, I got the tracking information. I, I, I've worked at the UPS store now, so I'm, I'm aware oh, of how long it takes uh, for, <laughs> for ground to get from uh, the East coast uh, uh, or get to the East coast, I guess, coming from California. So uh, mm-hmm. it hasn't gotten here yet, but uh, I'm, I'll keep an eye out. I'll certainly let you know when, when it arrives, but uh, yeah, I appreciate getting the opportunity to do that. I'm glad I was able to, uh, add to my collection and support a good cause at the at the same time. So that was that was very nice. Absolutely, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and thank you for uh, for coming on tonight. Um, I don't want to take up uh, too much oh, sure. here. You know, I want to keep it to about an hour or so, hopefully. Um, okay. And you know, like what uh, what Dale Jr. says on his podcast a lot of times. You know, I'd, I'd love to have you back at some point because I'm sure there's. There's more than an hour's worth of material we could talk about here, but uh, <laughs> you know, I, I don't want to monopolize too much of your evening at the same time here. So, uh, but no, I guess I just to, it. yeah, just to start, um, you know, and forgive me in advance. I know I got to talk to you last year for uh, mm-hmm. one of my school projects, um, but just for the sake of people who might be watching this, who maybe don't know as much about uh, the Last Car website or kind of the mission of what you do. Um, I guess just kind of explain to people to start why last place finishers and what got the, uh, got the website going. Well, you know, it's, it's always a great icebreaker uh, the way I always put it, you know, because uh, what I do is I follow the last place finishers in NASCAR's top three series. Uh, So I always kind of turn the field on its head there and kind of start watching the race for the very back of the field and chronicle what happens from the start of the race until the driver falls out and by doing that, that allows me to kind of follow uh, different drivers and teams that don't get talked about uh, as often. Every once in a while, we do get a driver like a Chase Elliott or, uh, you know, back when he was active, Dale Jr. or the like, uh, that would fall to the back of the field and they would be the story that way too. Never really could play favorites. Uh, and at the end of the year, there's a last car champion uh, that is the driver that gets the most last place finishes out of the season. Uh, I have kind of a point structure that's uh, set up there that favors kind of more full-time drivers rather than part-timers. And at the end of the year, if I'm at the finale or very close to it, uh, I actually present the certificate to the driver that had the most last place finishes and just got finished doing that at Phoenix uh, just this past weekend. So uh, yeah, it's an irritating site. Uh, I've been doing it since 2009. Um, You know, I've never really been a guy that's been a big fan of a lot of the big name drivers out there, although I certainly know why people are fans of them. Uh, But this is, kind of a framework that allows me to kind of talk about drivers that don't get talked about that much. And certainly you understand that as well from your own contributions to the site there uh, with the uh, Arca West series and so forth. Yeah. Well, I, I'm, I'm sitting kind of low here. I don't know if you can tell, but I've got my Jeff green. Oh, uh, there we go. I guess. So uh, <laughs> yeah, but I'm curious. Cause I, I know uh, obviously you got to uh, present that to Jeff at Darlington a handful of years ago. You know, I can understand where if, if it's somebody in his situation where, you know, he's just kind of doing it. I think he, he mentioned like he sees his starting park work is kind of a job now for him. Um, and obviously he's a he's an actual Xfinity Series champion as well. So we don't want to discredit him in, in any sort of way. But uh, 
somebody exactly. like that, I would think, uh, you know, they're actually, they might appreciate the work that you do and understand and, um, you know, uh, appreciate having a, a media member to talk to, uh, considering they're at the back of the pack, don't, don't get as much attention on a, a typical race weekend. But have you ever run into a situation where it's like, you know, a, a top driver just has, you know, maybe a handful of early crashes or engine failures at the start of a year and it's a it's a top name it actually ends up being the quote-unquote last car champion and they maybe don't understand the premise of the site or uh just think you're you're maybe making fun of them or something like that i mean that's certainly an aspect of it i mean i'm, I'm still kind of perfecting my approach to it this is only the second time i've actually presented the certificates in person so that's kind of been a more recent phenomena uh compared to the actual history of the website uh, but you know, obviously there's been differing reactions from uh, one driver to the next. I pretty much got three very different reactions, uh, from this past Phoenix weekend alone. Um, but, uh, it's actually interesting. You mentioned Jeff green, uh, back, uh, uh, back at Las Vegas during our coverage there, I actually ran to Rick Houston at the scene vault podcast. Uh, he was doing a couple presentations there, uh, on racing history. And he specifically asked me about Jeff green and his reaction to receiving uh, the shirt, like the one you're wearing there tonight. Uh, and I told him, yeah, we don't, you know, he was pretty laid back about it. You know, he, he, you know, he, he said like, man, I didn't think I had a hundred yet. I said like, well, you had a hundred combined across the top three series, not, uh, just a hundred in Xfinity yet. And he did later that year. So it was all kept pretty light. And, uh, you know, and he also actually, you know, his, his dog had passed away, uh, not long before this, this was back in 2017. I sent a message to him, uh, you know, and, and you know, wishing him the best under that. And he remembered that. And he mentioned that actually during that same interview. Um, but when I was describing all this to Rick Houston, he just had this big smile on his face and he's like, and I got a very good sense that the Jeff Green that I was talking to was very different than the Jeff Green that he talked to back in the nineties uh, when he was covering the Bush series for uh, NASCAR scene. And uh, I'm sure if I had uh, presented the certificate back then, I think in fact, he actually got a last car championship uh, back in like 96 or 97 or so. Uh, I'm sure if I had, been around back then even uh uh doing it under the same circumstances probably would have got a very different reaction then uh but to answer your question about drivers that i've personally uh brought them to um you know uh david Starr, for example uh you know he was he was very cool about it he was very laid back about it and i had an interview with him that i integrated into the article i did that week and um you know i i didn't just say hey here here right away uh you know i i kind of eased into it and talk more about his racing and his season. And I got a good interview out of it. And then I kind of did at the end. And I could tell when I did give him the certificate at the end, he was, you know, he didn't know what to make of it. And I'm, I'm sure when I described it, he was like, well, you know, this is something he's not going to really exactly put on his wall. And, uh, um, you know, but, you know, but he was very professional about it. And, and there, you know, I mean, I'm sure of all these drivers, that sure none of them really anticipate having to be in a situation where they receive an award like this. But, um, you know, uh, but again, he was really cool about it. Jack Wood in the truck series. He actually laughed when I gave him his and uh, Joey Gase in the cup series. I caught him just on the way out. So I didn't do a whole interview. I actually gave him the certificate at the, at the beginning. And that really kind of illustrated how awkward that can be because um, he absolutely didn't understand it, but he accepted it. And he wasn't, you know, he wasn't, you know, offended. And I kind of led into talking about his season a bit. Um, but that was just kind of brief on that end. So you kind of have to judge it from one situation to another. Um, I did give one to Joe Nimichek a couple of years ago. I think he wasn't particularly happy about it, but that was at a time where, you know, much like Jeff Green, he was starting parking his effort 
At the time, John Hunter was still driving for his team and helping them out. And, you know, it wasn't any reflection on Joe's driving skill. And we didn't really have an opportunity to really talk about that. Uh, but, um, you know, it, it can happen. And there's certainly drivers and team owners, for that, uh, for that matter, uh, that aren't particularly big fans of them. I actually, you know, had one team owner reach out to me on Twitter and ask me, why do you hate us? And I said, well, look, I don't. Uh, I, I love writing about you guys. I hate that you have bad runs, but I try to really explain these away. I mean, there's other guys in the media center who, you know, I've sat around where either they don't pay attention to them at all, or they just laugh when something bad happens to them. And I think that's much more mean spirited uh, than anything I or you or anybody else contributing to lastcar.info does. I think we all share that interest in these drivers and teams and, and understand that, you know, they're racing for the very best they can. And, and a lot of them are happy to get that bit of exposure there. Um, you know, and sometimes, it, you know, it doesn't always come across as, as clearly, but I think a lot have really come around to it. I mean, uh, Josh Blicky on pit road at Phoenix was asking if he was going to get a certificate. And I said, no, not, not this year, but your teammate might. Uh, and he was talking, you know, he's explaining it with his friends and they were interested in it. And, you know, so that was cool. So there's definitely some that do get it and some that don't. Um, and, you know, I can only do so much to convince them of it. Uh, but, you know, when Quinn Howe wrecked at Phoenix, and somebody sitting next to me is like, well, that's a, you know, that's a uh, perfect way for that team to go out and just leaving it there and never going out there to talk to the guys. Um, I think at the end of the day, a team would rather somebody go out there and talk to them and find out what happened uh, versus the opposite. So it just is what it is. Yeah. Well, I want to ask, uh, I know you brought up Jeff Green getting a last car championship back in the nineties. Um, it reminded me, I know you were taking the uh, bar exam and you were a law student. Mm -hmm. Um, many years ago, uh, you know, I'm curious, how long did it take you to, uh, you know, compile all these stats and, and put them together and look at the history books and, um, and kind of create, I, I guess they're, uh, they're Kindle books, right? The, the ones that you update every year. Uh, oh, yes. Yeah. How long did all that take to, to put together? That was very challenging. Yeah, it's a good question. It's, um, you know, the idea first came about in November, uh, basically after the 2008 season had wrapped up. And of course, the big news, even at that time, was all these teams shutting down and new teams starting up. And that was kind of a continuing story uh, through 2008 and early 2009. And at the same time, my brother, uh, aka Lasbro, uh, you may see his name, uh, that uh, hashtag pop up here and there on my Twitter feed. Um, he came up with the ideas. He asked me just one night, he said like, well, who has the most last place finishes? Like nobody ever talks about that. And I looked at J ski and I didn't see anything there. And I looked at these other sites and nobody really talked about it. And so I just kind of went back to 1998, uh, just kind of picked an arbitrary period back when 43 car field started and kind of figured out the stats. I think Derek Cope had the most for that uh, time period. Um, and after that, it was just kind of, it just kind of built from there. The biggest thing I think that helped it, uh, and I have to give a shout out to them, is RacingReference.info. Um, the time that they were previous, they were briefly like offline, was terrifying to me because they have been absolutely essential in compiling a lot of these stats. Same thing with my entry list storylines articles and things of that nature. That site really helped me. I was originally on like a, a just a, a Word document when I compiled it, and then I converted that over into a Excel spreadsheet years later. Uh, but to answer your question, it was basically by the end of the off season uh, into the early 2009 when I started actually writing my first last car articles. 
I had had just the cup series statistics. I didn't have anything on Xfinity or trucks. Uh, I finished that by midway into the 2010 season. Uh, and then the books you're describing, I didn't finish those until 2012, early 2013. Uh, so that took a bit longer as well. So it did, it did take a few years to really get that together. And even then, in that time since then, I added extra columns of data for the manufacturers of the cars, um, you know, other notes on, you know, certain events that happened during the races uh, and really kind of added more and more to that spreadsheet. And, and just this year, added statistics on dirt tracks. Uh, I think that was the most recent stat page I had on that. So in anticipation of Bristol, of course, I kind of compiled that. So um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a long process there. And, you know, I mean, uh, and yeah, obviously that was a challenge back when I was in law school that finished up in 20, uh, 2011. Um, and I kind of chronicled that a little bit in my Dan Weldon video a while back. Um, you know, that was kind of that time period. And um, I kind of transitioned kind of out of that and into more of the media side at the same time. That's where it allowed me to kind of uh, spend more time on, um, you know, writing the history books and so forth. Well, that was a perfect segue. I was just going to bring up the, uh, the Until Lap 11 documentary that you put out last month. Um, I guess it'll be a month ago tomorrow here on the day we're right. recording this. I remember you mentioned, uh, I guess, toward the end of the video um, when Jason Leffler passed away. Um, mm -hmm. And I think, I, I mean, I, I remember watching that race at Pocono and, uh, you know, because I've always been a fan of the underdogs myself, obviously, and uh, just kind of oh, seeing yeah. Leffler's name scroll by on, on the ticker and then eventually uh you know the word off shifts to out and the car's out of the race and you know he he ends up finishing last place that weekend and then just a few days later he's killed at a at a local race that he's running um and i guess that was kind of your the realization that you know everybody's talking about leffler now obviously and reminiscing on his career and he was in a cup race just a few days earlier and your site was the only site that was talking about that um mm -hmm. so i i guess you know I, and i've seen the video obviously so i think i already know the answer but um you know what what did that do for uh kind of how the website evolved going forward and uh kind of the mission of of what you continue to do to this day it's a good question i mean you know you you certainly look back at the older archives um and uh you see an article from 2009 2010 2011 um those first three years, I kind it was the site was kind of secondary to at the time I was doing the um, NASCAR starting grid videos on YouTube, and that was kind of my big focus because I was like, oh, I you know this is on YouTube and it got a decent amount of hits, and I'm like, this is kind of the direction I'm probably going to go. And the site, like, well, that's kind of a fun thing to kind of do on the side. Um, the articles don't really go in depth about the drivers themselves, and it's mostly focusing on updating the statistics. Um, you know, although I certainly had an interest in these teams. Um, they, they're not very comprehensive articles, certainly those first three years. Um, into 2011, 2012, um, you know, of course, the Dan Weldon accident uh, was, yeah, a critical element in that. Um, as I chronicled in the video there, um, I was in that particular chat room that's featured in the video. Uh, and again, it allowed me to kind of indulge in more of the fan side of things, Kind of separate from this media side and and i never really i mean i always kind of thought in the back of my head i wanted to kind of do something in media but i didn't really think that the last car site was going to be kind of the vehicle to get there uh because i always felt like it was kind of a niche thing but i could tell over that same time the, the videos were the starting grid videos are getting kind of they kind of flatlined i mean they were they were they were decently popular and i still get a lot of people that that ask me about them but they kind of plateaued and the site was kind of starting to get a little bit more attention 
And so I was kind of putting, kind of shifting my focus that way about 2011. And then when the Weldon accident happened, um, that was where, you know, it, it, I, I try to keep things light in like my starting grid videos. And then the website kind of gives me an outlet to kind of do more like reporting and stuff like that. That was kind of where it kind of shifted that direction a little bit. And I don't think it was, it was really as conscious at the time, but you know, the video I, I linked in the description there as well, where I kind of offered my thoughts about it. It's, it's, it's very similar to a lot of the videos I do now where I'm talking about like kind of my thoughts firsthand after a race and it's closer to where I was kind of headed, but I didn't really think I was, you know, head that direction, but it definitely was kind of starting that. I mean, I, I really stopped going to the chat room, not immediately after the Weldon thing, but a ways after it. It's been a few years since I've been by there. Apparently it's still active, but um, I just, as I said, the video, I couldn't really reconcile this increasing interest in trying to kind of go to the media writing angle and still kind of doing the fan side of it. And, and it was, and I think that was kind of part of it, but the, uh, the Jason Leffler one was really, really was the breaking point because at that point I thought, I, I thought since the Weldon thing that I was, I was kind of taking more interest in it and really writing decent features on these drivers and really bringing them more attention. And I did, I did write that article, but um, you know, even when I look back at it, it's like, well, it's, it's still not very in-depth. It's still, there's still some information that could be brought up more. And it would have been great if I had actually interviewed him or if I was actually at the track to talk with him and things like that. And that kind of got me thinking at that point. And so by 2014, uh, that was the first time I actually covered a race under the last car banner. And by then, you know, I was barely doing the starting grids anymore. I still do them, you know, here and there with the Patreon and so forth. But, um, that was really critical in that sense. And, and you'll see, you know, a lot of my articles, I mean, actually my article for Jeffrey Earnhardt Saturday at Phoenix, I mean, it took me almost till midnight to finish that because uh, there was just so much information. And, and that was kind of when I decided that the site was going to be kind of more going to be my focus. And I had to just really, uh, you know, take that, take that aside. I mean, just this past weekend at Phoenix, this is probably one of the first race weekends I can remember where I didn't even go to the fan zone. Like, I mean, I usually like tried to kind of look out there, whether I'm meeting up with people or, or just kind of look at the souvenir haulers. I would have never thought as like, even in high school or even in college that I wouldn't make time to check that stuff out. I, I never did this weekend because there was just so much stuff happening in the infield during that weekend. I never really got a chance to get out of there. And that in 2011 with Dan Weldon or 2013 with Jason Leffler, that would have been unthinkable for me. Um, and I think it, you, sometimes in, in, in life, you'd never really know, you know, you don't have it be a conscious decision where you realize, oh man, you know, this is something I need to change this and do this. You don't realize that change has happened until you're further back, looking back on it. And when I put the, the lap 11 video together, that really kind of, I felt like I was kind of understanding it as I was making it. And, and I'm glad that it was, it was an uncomfortable project in a lot of ways, because I, I think it was reliving a time where it was kind of an uncomfortable transition, um, you know, and all that too. Uh, you know, ultimately, I didn't pass the bar exam. Uh, that was kind of a whole other story that uh, with that too. But, you know, I found, you know, I found their interest with that too, where I was interested more in an administrative side of the law, uh, rather than actually practicing it. So I was discovering a lot about myself in that time. Uh, and, and there, you know, there were painful lessons, but important ones. And, and I hope that came across and I, I did receive some compliments on it, even at the track at Phoenix. So I was, I was pleased to hear that because, uh, that was a project that was very, very nervous about, uh, in putting out there for sure.
Yeah, well, I guess uh, to kind of bounce off of that, um, I know you've been a lot more active on YouTube in, in recent years, but if you go back into the archives of your channel, you find all the, the starting grid videos. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I even remember uh, the All-Star Race, I guess it was probably 2012, 2011 or 2012, oh, when you yep. uh, got on Speed Channel to introduce uh, Regan Smith after his, I guess he was in the All-Star Race by virtue of his Southern 500 win. Um, yep. so I know that you had a lot of fun putting those together. Um, so kind of tell me how that project got started. Oh, that was, that was such an interesting time. Um, <laughs> again, kind of, kind of a nucleus of, it, it, that was also a kind of a moment that was kind of a collision course of a lot of these things going on. Um, in May of 2012, that same weekend was the weekend I received my score back from my second attempt at the bar exam. Uh, that same night uh, and didn't pass it there. Uh, but I had received word that I, you know, I, I sent a submission in with, with Regan Smith and, and Regan's win at Darlington was, was, you know, obviously uh, one thing I chased a lot in the starting grids was the, the, uh, the frustration of uh, Smith, not getting that Talladega win that yellow line rule penalty. I still stand by the fact that I think that's one of the worst calls NASCAR has made. Uh, and the inconsistencies with the yellow line rule since then have pointed that out, but that's a whole other discussion for another day. Um, but, uh, you know, when Regan was, of course, in the all-star race, and, you know, and, and making it in there, uh, you know, when I heard they were doing this contest, I had to jump into it uh, because at that point I hadn't really done any starting grids first part of 2000. Well, first part of 2012 at all. So I figured, well, this would be kind of fun. And so I did that with the die cast. I still have the car uh, with that. And uh, one thing that's interesting is they almost didn't get me into that contest. Uh, what happened was there was some, there was confusion because Speed had aired some of the clips before um, beforehand, and uh, they thought that I had published my clip on my YouTube channel beforehand, which you weren't supposed to. It would have violated the contest rules. Uh, and so originally they weren't going to give me the helmet. They weren't going to put my clip in the race. They're going to get somebody else's thing or something. And I had to explain to him, I was like, no, 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 you guys were airing the clip. It wasn't me. I didn't have anything to do with that. So that almost didn't happen. Uh, and this is like a couple of days beforehand. So I cleared, I cleared it up with them. There wasn't a big deal with that. And, you know, they obviously saw that it was, you know, them airing the footage. Uh, and of course they played it that night and that was exciting. I was actually still in the chat room at that time uh, for that actually. And so everybody was really excited about that. Um, you know, and, uh, so that was cool. I mean, that was, that was, you know, probably, you know, one of the last, you know, kind of good moments we had kind of in that chat before, uh, uh, I ended up leaving there, but, um, you know, but yeah, it was kind of, that was kind of a moment where, yeah, all that was kind of coming together and it was, yeah, it was a fan kind of thing to do and all that. Uh, and it was before the Jason Leffler thing and all that too. So it was before I was kind of committing more to the website. So I, I wasn't really established in anything beyond really the starting grids. And even that was kind of a niche uh, thing too, but uh, a lot of fun though. I mean, it's still a moment that uh, I remember very fondly and uh, I still have that clip on the YouTube channel. And uh, uh, I really appreciate that, uh, that I got picked out of the stack there. I still have the helmet uh, down in my storage room there too. We're looking for a good place to put it uh, here at Lascar headquarters. Yeah, well, um, you know, just to, to continue the YouTube discussion here, I want to ask you about some of your uh, recent projects. Uh, aside from the, the Lap 11 video, um, you know, I, I just recently rewatched uh, Three Before February. Mm. And, uh, you know, I imagine you, you said uh, putting the Dan Weldon video together was was pretty tough. I imagine that that had to have been uh, similarly difficult. Um, 
to, to relive and, and put together. And I, I'm looking at this as somebody who was, uh, I mean, I, I can say I wasn't around, I guess I was one year old at the time, all the, all that was, uh, was mm-hmm. going down. So I, I obviously don't have any memories of that. Um, you know, how did, how did the idea for that project come together? And, um, you know, I mean, it's, it's almost an hour and a half long. So I imagine, you know, there was a, a lot of, uh, extensive research that went into that as well. Certainly. And, and that was, that was a project that was a long time coming. Um, I pretty much really from, uh, back in, you know, 2001 itself. I mean, even after Dale Earnhardt's accident, uh, because once Earnhardt's accident happened, things happened really quick. And, and there were these developments in safety and everybody's like, oh, well, you know, I mean, it's terrible that we lost the intimidator. And absolutely it is. I mean, we miss him every day. The sport isn't the same without him. Um, but this narrative that was created very quickly to say, oh, well, Dale Earnhardt happened. And then all these safety advancements happened just because of him. Um, it's very easy to forget. And I think has been forgotten largely how nerve wracking that season was. Uh, I was uh, 18 years old uh, during that 2000 season. Uh, so I remembered it very clearly, uh, not in the same way as Rick Houston, of course. Uh, you know, he was working in the media at that time and actually was, you know, had met all these drivers before. Uh, so he had a very good account of it in his Firestorm as well. But I've noticed that in his Firestorm podcast, you know, he and I kind of disagree on different elements of it. In my mind, what was really challenging with that whole time period is that, you know, you had these three drivers, uh, you know, between Adam Petty, Kenny Irwin Jr. and Tony Roper, that much like a lot of drivers that get featured on Lascar are drivers that maybe even back then weren't big time names uh, in the sport, weren't talked about that much. Uh, Kenny Irwin Jr. actually was the first driver I ever wanted to interview, even before I had any inkling of trying to get into motorsports media. Uh, I'd always hoped to maybe do play by play or something someday. Uh, but I never really thought about like interviewing drivers or anything. But I, I remember as a kid, you know, following the sport at Irwin's first couple of seasons, he always looked really distracted. He always looked kind of worried or frustrated. And I'm sure he was when he was, you know, in that high pressure ride with the Robert Yates team. Uh, and, you know, and, and of course he was looking to get a fresh start with the, the Sabata's effort. And he had that good run at Talladega in the spring. And I, I remember how exciting that was. It's like, man, you know, maybe this guy's going to win something someday. And then when that accident happened, um, you know, all three, all three of those accidents were devastating tragedies, but Irwin's in particular uh, always really stood out to me. And the fact that his was forgotten uh, so much after Dale Earnhardt's accident, as well as uh, both Adam Petty's and Tony Roper's uh, too, uh, it's always been kind of in the back of my mind of doing some kind of project on it. Uh, I thought about making it a book, uh, but at the same time, I didn't want to have, I didn't want to get in a rut with what I had done with the J.D. McDuffie book and then just keep doing stories about tragic aspects of the sport. I didn't want to be known as the person who just does stories like that because I think there's a lot of positive things about the sport uh, that have kept me interested in the sport and still do. Um, and, you know, in fact, uh, my Derek Cope book that I'm working on is definitely a departure from that. And, and the next one I'm uh, working on after that is, is another two. Um, but, you know, obviously looking at the footage, it, it, it kind of occurred to me, well, maybe this should be a YouTube video. And that was kind of my thought. I was just, just make it kind of a YouTube video to kind of offer a chronology of all the events that happened. And uh, I never really thought about it being like a feature. So the first version of it that I posted was just kind of, I was kind of amazed at how long it was. I was like, oh, nobody's going to watch all this. Um, but, you know, I, I 
I felt this was a story that needed to be told and as impartially as possible. I mean, there's, you know, there's, there's a couple parts in it that it's very challenging to do so. Um, but, uh, you know, that was, that was the biggest focus. And on that, the research, uh, J-Ski was the biggest part of that. Uh, they kept fantastic archives of even little moments. Like there was an incident with Kenny Irwin Jr.'s hauler uh, leading into the 2000 season. Uh, I want to make sure to include like little bits of information, even things like that, because, you know, uh, you know, it, it kind of fits all together there. And I probably could have split it into three parts and just had three videos on it. But I don't think that would have been as effective because a lot of those stories, as I described in the opening of it, they're intertwined, uh, whether it's the Sabata's effort or Adam Petty getting going in the Xfinity or the Bush series at the time uh, or Tony Roper, you know, also struggling at the same New Hampshire track. Um, I wanted to kind of bring up, I wanted to experience it as I experienced it, that you started with the season. There's all this excitement. It's NASCAR 2000. They got this whole program going. They got these new cars, new paint schemes. And it was exciting. I mean, I, I remember a kid as a kid printing out pictures of all the cars because I wanted to find them all in diecast because uh, that was a big thing. Um, and, you know, but then starting in May, you just had all these these terrible things happen. And, and, and at a time where we hadn't really had fatalities in the sport in a few years. Uh, I know Amp Lemon in his video on Dale Earnhardt kind of colored a picture of it to make it seem like deaths were more frequent in the sport. It had been a few years uh, since John Hunter's in the truck series, even further back in cup. Uh, so, and, and, and in the Bush series, even back to Clifford Allison in 1992. So there was a long time where there was, I would say some complacency in there. And, you know, one of my first passions historically has been the Titanic disaster. And I see some comparisons there. There's these warnings that this thing is happening. And when you put it all together in hindsight, it just seems like so obvious. And you're like, how on earth did everybody just let this happen, not have all these accidents happen and still say going into 2001, oh, we're not sure if the Hans device is ready. Oh, we're not sure if we need to take any of the measures, just having nothing happen. And then Dale Earnhardt happens and suddenly it's a whole different story. Um, I think that's the most accurate way to portray that. I, I definitely remember the anger at the time, how unnecessary all that was uh, and how could it have happened? And I thought looking back on it, maybe you would clear it up and say, oh, well, maybe, you know, there's an explanation here or there. But actually, when I looked at it, I was more upset about it. It's like, it's like, how, how on earth could this have happened? And this is where I think, you know, and again, I, I, I really appreciate, you know, Rick Houston at, professionally as well. And I thought he did a fantastic job on Firestorm. Uh, but I think one of the biggest aspects that we disagree on between my project and his is the role of Dale Earnhardt in those, in those incidents. Uh, you know, it's obviously, it's always been said, and, and, and Rick, Rick's been among these too, that you know, who's going to be the person to tell Dale Earnhardt that he has to wear a Hans device? You know, who's going to be the person that's going to tell him he has to? Uh, but clearly somebody had to. Uh, and, you know, I know that there's other issues there as well, that there was a culture in the garage area that people just didn't ask about safety. If you're worried about safety, you should be out there and things like that. And he was privy to that information that I wasn't. So, and again, I encourage your listeners to check out his project as well. If, they're, if, you're, if they've seen Three Before February, I highly recommend checking out Firestorm, uh, uh, his podcast there as well. But in my project, I, I, and it was, it was challenging to do because it's not a pleasant thing to think about. Uh, I'm much more critical of Dale Earnhardt's role in what happened there, that he was 
he was the figurehead. He was the leader in the garage area. Jeff Burton was kind of on the rise, but he was still kind of, he wasn't fully, you know, the one that everybody was consulting at the time. Dale Earnhardt was kind of the leader and everybody kind of followed his example. And I, I always think about it in a professional example that everybody who's worked any job has been around that one person that, you know, they said they tend to get away with things that everybody else can't just because they've been around for longer. And as much as I hate to say it, it, looking back on it, I think, I think Earnhardt was, was that figure in that example. And it's, and it's, it's awful. I mean, obviously I'm sure if he had any inkling that something like that was going to happen to him, things would have turned out differently. And, you know, and, and God knows I would have hoped that it would have happened too. But uh, I just think that clearly there, and it's not all, and it's not all on Earnhardt. I don't want to make it sound like that either. I think NASCAR should have been more firm. I think they should have taken a much more assertive stance on it and, and really taken the initiative. And the fact also, um, and again, this is something that Rick does a really good job on too. He brings up Blaze Alexander a lot more in mine. I kind of bring it up as an after uh, a statement there because that's kind of where I, just, I wanted to leave the story because even the narrative that Dale Earnhardt brought in the Hans device isn't entirely true. It wasn't until after that, uh, all the way in October with Blaze Alexander's accident, that the, the mandate was actually put in place. Um, so, you know, it's, it, it's, it was a challenging project. It was definitely, again, much like, much like with until lap 11 kind of captured a different time in my life, you know, more as a fan really, uh, than, um, you know, kind of more on the media side of it. Uh, but that was kind of the emotions that were kind of going into it there. Uh, but again, yeah, it's, it's a complicated subject. I think that you could have a half dozen people tackle it and we'll get a half dozen completely different interpretations of it. Um, but I think that's kind of where my uh, frustrations of it are. But, my, but again, I want to be clear that it's very possible that there's a lot of details that I, didn't ha- I wasn't privy to because at the time, of course, I was just a fan. I was just a kid. I didn't, I tapped into a lot of my own memories of it, verifying the details from my research, of course, but, you know, inevitably my, the way that the experience is going to be colored is from my view as a fan, whereas somebody with Rick Houston's experience as a media member, it's going to be vastly different, you know, having met all these people before. So again, I would absolutely encourage your viewers to, uh, to check out both projects there if they're interested. I think if you watch both of them, I think uh, a combination of the both of them is probably going to be the most accurate uh, concept of what that season was like. Yeah. Well, it reminds me, um, you know, just thinking back to Weldon's accident. Um, I, I remember the day before the Vegas race seeing, uh, you know, James Jakes's crash and obviously, you know, James Jakes wasn't, uh, too seriously injured. I mean, he, for crying out loud, he raced the next day or the next, uh, two days, I guess it was a, on a Friday practice or whenever it was, but, uh, you know, the, just from him hitting the wall and what, you know, it's, it's not an uncommon um, kind of accident to see how much damage was done, you know, kind of worried me for when you, you put 33 other cars uh, for total 34 cars out there, um, what could possibly happen? And, uh, you know, I, I, I even think back to when um, Briscoe and Tagliani touched wheels and, uh, you know, it, it, if an accident had happened there, you know, probably would have collected even more than the 15 cars that um, the accident that did happen collected. Um you know, but just drawing it all back, you know, it, it seemed to me like looking back on it, you know, with 10 years um, of hindsight now, you know, it, it's kind of a similar sort of thing there where, you know, there are a lot of warning signs that maybe this isn't such a good idea. Maybe there are things that we're 
overlooking here in regards to safety, and yet it ended up happening that way. That's a very, very good point. And, you know, I think that's, uh, that's kind of where the challenge is, you know, where you can kind of see this in NASCAR man's video as well, uh, his uh, perfect storm video. I think at the time, it was so hard to kind of view it in, in, in such a way where um, is, is this too much, you know, and when I, I didn't really realize, because again, my exposure to IndyCar was very limited. I was kind of brought in, I was kind of one of those fans that kind of got brought into the sport by the efforts that Randy Bernard was making to make IndyCar more interesting and, and, and to kind of uh, recover the sport uh, from the reunification after the, after uh, the split. Um, and so that was kind of my frame of reference. I didn't have a vast knowledge of what kind of racing should you have on mile and a half tracks and what is an unacceptable level of risk uh, for IndyCar. Of course, my frame of reference is NASCAR. So when I see pack racing, when I see large fields, I'm all on board. And back in 2011, I'm like, this is fantastic. Uh, you know, I'm thinking, I'm thinking much like the 2001 Daytona 500, where they had this big, this arrow package that Dale Earnhardt did win his last race with. They're going to bring it to Daytona. They had record numbers of lead changes, unbelievable competition, unbelievably clean racing in the Daytona 500. But obviously the Tony Stewart wreck is, is a, is a massive exception, but it's easy to forget that that wreck was happening with like 25 laps to go. And almost the entire field was still running. A lot of the racing that entire week was very clean. And I think in uh, the IndyCar thing was, it almost had that aspect. I mean, they had the James Jakes accident you mentioned, of course, but then all the other practice sessions, qualifying sessions, and even those first few laps of the race were run very clean, pointing to the, the, the skill of the drivers. Um, but you mentioned, of course, yeah, the contact with, uh, with Tagliani there. Um, and you see this in, in the chat transcript in my video. Once that happens, the, the tone of the chat, it changes very much. It's all of a sudden, like everybody's just kind of relaxed and they're kind of enjoying it. And they're hoping it's, it's you know, there, there's some concerns. There's a few people that are concerned. But then once that happens, suddenly it kind of shifts gears and everybody's just like, oh, my God, this is this is too much. This is out of control. But of course, it's too late by that point. What are you going to do? You're going to throw a red flag and stop the race and say that it's it's too much. I mean, you know, the drivers have no control over because their drivers are going to go out there and try to compete. Um, and then, of course, the accident happens. And, uh, you know, that's and I, and I think that's you know, and, and, I, and I, I didn't like. One, one thing with, with Until Lap 11 that I, I wasn't entirely comfortable with doing was bringing a lot more of myself into it uh, because it's, it's really about, you know, it's about Dan, it's about the circumstances that led up to the accident. But I do think that my own experience of trying to juggle your view as a fan or your view as a media person was really challenged by that event. And I think I wasn't the only one. I think anybody that was in the media center in Vegas was like that too, or maybe they, they were there, you know, Oriel Servia said, it's like, look, you guys are going to have a lot of exciting stuff to write about. And I'm sure if I was in the media center, I'd be like, oh man, you know, this is going to be a really exciting race. It's going to have some crazy, it might have a photo finish like they had at Kentucky. Um, it's going to be exciting, you know, and you almost kind of go in, you kind of take a step back more into that fan aspect where maybe more as a media member, you kind of look at things a little more critically. You try not to get, you know, let your excitement go in and try to see what's actually happening. And maybe if something like that happened, maybe something different would have happened. But uh, clearly that wasn't, you know, that wasn't the case. I mean, you know, and, and again, much like with the 2001 Daytona 500, that was something that I had experienced at a much older age. One thing that really struck me out of the comments, even just a couple more I received today, 
was how young people were when they saw this accident. How, I mean, I mean, you, you mentioned that you, you know, you were, you were very young during uh, the 2000 uh, accidents there. Uh, but I mean, there were some people that were, you know, even younger, maybe they were only like, you know, seven or eight people. They were about the same age I was when I went to my first NASCAR race in 1992. Um, and this was their first exposure to it or, or something that happened at a very young age. I think there were people that for them, this was a moment that was just too awful to even think about. Um, and that really came across uh, both in my video and NASCAR man's video as well. Um, and I, I, I really had no idea that it was going to be just that reaction was just that profound. I mean, obviously, as, as awful as it was, you know, I mean, you know, luckily I was, I was, it, it affected me in a different way, but I mean, I can't imagine what it would, would have been like for somebody at an even more impressionable age to have seen it at that time. I mean, it must've just been awful. Uh, but I, obviously I can't comment on that experience, but that was you know, very much the case. Yeah. Well, I was 12. So it was, uh, that's, there you go. Yeah. Pretty, pretty traumatizing for me. Um, and I think it's it's to this day it's the only fatality I've watched, you know, where I've been watching the race live as it was unfolding. Um, you know, I'd, I have limited access to cable, so you know the Justin Wilson crash I wasn't I wasn't watching that Pocono race of a time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean that's something that that was was tough for me for a while, and you know I, I still don't think I'm completely over. I don't think I'll ever completely be over. Um, yeah, but that was very tough. And I, I have a I have several friends I can think of. Um, maybe even have to go on to second hand you know to have enough fingers to count the number of people that like the 2011 500 that year was their first indycar race or that was their first uh or vegas was their first indycar race it was something that um was was at the very beginning of when they were exposed to uh to that side of, of motor racing as a fan um so to have that happen and that that kind of be your first uh experience or you know you see dan win this race and this stunning fashion and then you know less than five months later he's he's taken from us you know it's it, I, I can't i can speak from my perspective how how hard that was you know to even be a, a few years younger you know, it must only get harder from there certainly i mean you know every generation has these and, and i don't think it's an exaggeration to to compare these um whether it's you know uh you know people your parents or grandparents talking about where they were when uh, they heard the Kennedy was assassinated in the 1960s or where they were when the Challenger exploded in the 1980s. I mean, things that were, you know, things much like, you know, Dale Earnhardt's accident or Dan Weldon's accident that had an air of anticipation that, you know, that nobody's really worried about anything bad happening. Everybody's kind of having it. And then in an instant, uh, a person or several people are just taken from us and dealing with that. Um, I think every generation has that moment. And I think, you know, and, and, and there's been other ones outside of motorsports uh, for ours. Uh, I mean, obviously, it's, uh, September 11th has left an indelible mark uh, on everybody. Uh, but I think in, in motorsports as well, I mean, for people that are, are, are motorsports fans, or maybe even had just a passing interest in it, uh, either Dale Earnhardt's accident, or even especially Dan Weldon's accident, uh, for just the, 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 the sheer nature of the wreck. Um, it's, it's definitely left its mark. Yeah. Well, I guess, uh, we can, can shift gears into maybe something a little bit more, uh, sure. lighthearted and, uh, uplifting here. Um, you know, I've really been enjoying your, uh, your rise of the field fillers series that you've been working on for the last several months now. And I don't even know how many episodes, I think you're up to eight or nine episodes right now. 
Yeah, I believe um, we're working on nine right now. So that's, yeah. yep, that's still going along. Yeah, so uh, obviously that that kind of feeds into, uh, you know, the mission of Last Car and uh, a lot of, you know, similar kind of teams and drivers that you're that are featured more frequently on the site. Um, we are, you're featuring in these, these videos here. Um, but what, what kind of launched, uh, the idea for, for this series? And, um, you know, obviously there's, there's been several clips and interviews there as well. So, um, you know, how, how much, how much work have you had to put into those? And, uh, I know you say you're working on episode nine now, when can we expect, uh, expect that to come out? Absolutely. Yeah, no, field fillers, um, again, keeping with the interest of, of, of doing lighter subjects in the books, like I mentioned, the Derek Cope book being the next one of those. Uh, field fillers back in 2019 or 2018, 2019, when the J.D. McDuffie book came out, um, I decided the field fillers was going to be the next book I was going to work on. Uh, that was the original plan. And so uh, I was already compiling a lot of research in late 2018, early 2019. And that was kind of my big focus. And I was like, oh, this will be neat. This will be a very different thing. The working title was going to be called Field Fillers in 2004. And I was going to kind of take a lighthearted look at these teams and kind of write it out in a book. Um, and I kind of ways into it. I hadn't, I hadn't completed any interviews, but the more I worked on it, I kind of reached a stalling point. Like suddenly the project just wasn't advancing. Like I was writing chapters out, but it was very cursory. Like I wasn't, I wasn't actually, it was just statistics. It's just saying like, oh, this person qualified, this person didn't qualify. And I, I didn't, I didn't have, I had some information on some of these teams, but I didn't have it to a satisfactory degree that I could really, I could really indulge in those details to the same degree that I did in the JD book. So uh, it basically sat on my hard drive for a bit and I ended up going towards the Derek Cope book after that. And then that kind of, that had more momentum and, and that was easier to do. I think the challenging part with, with field fillers was so much of the material was a uh, video. And so I felt like I was transcribing a lot of video footage or trying to make, you know, uh, focusing so much on trying to make that uh, something you could picture in your mind. And it finally occurred to me, uh, August of, I guess, last, I guess it was last year or two years ago. Um, that was like, what the heck am I doing? It's like, this would be a great video series. Like, I mean, instead of transcribing all this stuff, let's just put the video clips in there and let's just do that. And so these first, few chapters uh the first few parts of it were really going to be what were the parts of the book i mean the the episode one was pretty much uh, word for word what was going to be in the book to, to start it off and describing all that and of course the visuals of showing the teams you know the number of teams shrinking and increasing i mean that worked so much better in the video so at that point um i almost you know i at that point it really kicked it to overdrive and i was starting to kind of reorganize it and, uh, you know, uh, get this material together. And it came together so much quicker and being able to write it, knowing I had visuals to rely on. And then um, really after the first couple episodes, the interviews was kind of a latter aspect to it. Um, I had found a couple clips of Kirk Shelverdine. I got a contact information from him, uh, for him from a friend. Um, and unfortunately he didn't pick up, so I couldn't get an interview with him. But then I got a hold of Dean Arnold right before uh, Thanksgiving for that episode. And uh, he was relaxing and stuff like that. And he gave some great stories and that kind of started that aspect of it. I'm not sure if I'll be able to get that into every episode, but uh, I've been pleased with who's been able to respond so far. Stan Hoover, um, Morgan Shepard, of course, Carl Long and so forth. And it's really kind of taken on a life of its own. It's actually 
Um, and it's finally, it, it's really the flagship series now uh, on this chat on my channel there, because um, I, before this, I'd always had the starting grids kind of be in that position. But again, like I said, they kind of plateaued after a bit and I still like doing them on occasion, but I get so many questions all the time. Like when's the next episode? When's the next episode? Who's it going to be on? And um, yeah, uh, that's been, that's been really exciting. So to, and to answer your question, yeah, the next episode on score motorsports and Hermie Sadler, I'm currently in the process of arranging an interview uh, with Hermie. Uh, I haven't, uh, we haven't uh, spoken yet, but I'm hoping to get that in the project uh, and get that together. Uh, the script is pretty much done. I'm going to basically be interviewing with him to kind of fill some gaps in there and make some other corrections in the script uh, before I start recording it. I was hoping to get it done sometime this month. It might end up uh, early December, uh, but uh, nothing firm yet. But uh, of course the updates will be uh, in both my Patreon, patreon.com slash Brock, or my Twitter feed uh, at Brock. Uh, I'll have more information on that. And in the meantime, I'm still working on doing some shorter form videos um, as well on other drivers along the way uh, to kind of fill these gaps up. I, I hoping over this off season, I'll be able to set up a more regular uh, upload schedule. So the wait uh, between episodes isn't quite as long for everyone. Yeah, well, I think uh, back to, I, I became a fan around uh, when Pixar released Cars, so 2006, 2007. So, you know, 04, obviously I have a lot of knowledge of that era just from being a fan and uh, kind of reliving that time and, uh, you know, looking at bracing reference and, you know, videos like yours and everything. Um, but, you know, I think of, I think of when the recession hit and a lot of teams were closing down there, you know, there was a pretty big increase in the starting park teams, you know, particularly in cup series around 2009 uh, with, you know, Tommy Baldwin and Joe Nemechek bringing his team back to cup and uh, other teams like that. So I'm curious, you know, obviously you've been focusing on 2004 for the series, you know, how long um, or how many episodes, I guess, are, are you planning to do? And is this something that you're just going to keep focused uh, on the 2004 season? Or do you have plans to uh, look a little bit even further down the road there? Uh, stay tuned. I'll, de I'll definitely tell you, stay tuned on that. It's, it's, the series is not, I'm not planning on uh, writing the last episode of it uh, anytime soon here. So there's, uh, there's a couple of interesting surprises that are going to be coming up here. Uh, the next few that I'm very excited about. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, yeah, this, this, this story doesn't have a, a clear uh, finish line as of yet. So uh, all that is still definitely uh, on the table here and uh, hopefully, yeah, I can keep the same format and, um, you know, uh, uh, big thanks again to everybody uh, that's that's uh, volunteered for interviews and a, a particular shout out to Brian Hallman at the BRH Racing Archives. Um, uh, he and I have been talking ever since I was back in high school, uh, sharing old pictures because uh, uh, back then I was even starting to talk about J.D. McDuffie and he was sharing some of his old pictures of J.D. back then. Uh, and so we built up a friendship since then. And uh, he's been a tremendous help in finding uh, some of these, these great rare photos and stuff. And, and whenever he sends over, I try to put as many of those in the video as I can, because uh, it really helps kind of illustrate uh, just the very humble origins of these, these drivers and teams. And uh, that's something that's definitely going to be uh, continuing on in the series. Yeah, well, I'm just, uh, I'm looking at the clock now, I guess we're, we're coming up on an hour here already. And uh, I oh, wanted goodness. to get in. Yeah, I wanted to get into JD a little bit tonight, but uh, nope. I don't know. Maybe we'll I'm, I'm I'm flexible right now, so I could I can yeah. go as long as you need to. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm trying. Like I said, you know, I'd I'd love to have you back at some point, um, in the not too distant future. Uh, but I guess sure. you know to to kind of cap it off here. I know, um, obviously JD was your 
your first uh, actual published book. And obviously you have the, the Kindle books with the last car statistics and everything. But um, like you mentioned, you're working on a book now on, uh, on Derek Cope, who just uh, recently retired. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously Starcom Racing, unfortunately, closing their doors. Um, I'm curious, how did, uh, how did that project get started? Um, and is it, I assume you, you're taking probably a slightly different approach than you took with, uh, with JD's book. And um, I guess, you know, just to, to wrap it up, um, I know you said you don't have a, a firm release date yet, but how, when, when can we expect uh, that book to, to hit the shelves here? Certainly. And, you know, uh, yeah, that was, that was kind of the big thing, you know, between these two books, it kind of, I, I kind of touched on this a little bit earlier, um, you know, in, in the case of JD, that was really kind of the first kind of, I guess, mystery is probably too strong of a term, but just like subject in, in NASCAR history that I really kind of grabbed onto, um, probably really around the same 2000 season. Um, in fact, uh, you know, that was, I mean, by the time, during a lot of what was happening in the 2000 and 2001 season was about the same time that I was kind of starting to learn more about JD. And, um, so that the, the book that came out in 2018, that was basically the result of, it, it had always been kind of in the background, like whatever I was doing, if I found like some little scrap of anything about JD, I would kind of put it in my archives and I didn't have really a real firm idea of what it was going to be for. Uh, but by about 2016, I read, um, this book called a killer show. Um, that's on, uh, highly recommended. It. Uh, it's a book that's a very harrowing account of the uh, station nightclub fire that happened in 2003, uh, that claimed the lives of hundred people. And it's written by this attorney. I believe his name is John Berilick. Um, he, uh, provided this incredible account of it, um, that really made you feel like you were there. Like, I mean, and, and to an incredible degree, very comprehensive. And really when I read that book, I was thinking, is there a subject that I, because I always had an interest in writing, but is there a subject that I have that level of interest in or want to attain that level of knowledge of uh, to write a book about? And instantly, J.D. McDuffie. Um, and so the first chapter I wrote was what I knew about the Watkins Glen race, and I kind of expanded it outward uh, from there. Uh, you know, what, talking to one person and another kind of led to the interviews, and that's how that project came together. Uh, Derek Cope, like I mentioned, uh, you know, after the field fillers thing kind of stalled, um, I figured, okay, well, it has to be on, like, I, I wanted to have it be similar enough to the JD project, but not with a tragic aspect of it. And I felt the first different uh, differentiation I wanted to make was do it on a driver that won a race. And who better among underdogs that won a race than a person whose first win was in the Daytona 500. Um, and Derek Cope actually uh, was the first driver I was actually a fan of. So he kind of had that aspect going full circle. Uh, I posted the picture a few times on Twitter that when I went to my first race in 1992, uh, I was wearing a pink Mickey Mouse hat. We went to Disneyland earlier that summer, uh, and I I was uh, on my uh, with my folks there and reached over the fence and he uh, he signed it. I still have it in the box uh, in my bedroom, and uh, you know it's uh, that was the first autograph I ever got. And I always I always liked his paint job. That was the first thing that attracted me to it. I loved the orange and white pure later car, um, and uh, you know I followed other drivers over the years. Jerry Nadu, of course end up being, you know, really a driver that I followed much more closely from the beginning part of his career, which is why I still, I still say that Jerry is still probably my, uh, my, my all-time favorite driver, but Derek Cope's always been in the conversation uh, for being a driver that I'd followed at such a formative time in my life. And so when the JD project came up and wanting to do something, you know, that wasn't uh, a story of a tragedy, 
um, definitely Derek came into the conversation there. And also, incidentally, of course, a driver that, you know, had a lot of adversity that he had to overcome, had a lot of last place finishes. I mentioned earlier, uh, he actually was the first driver I saw that had a clear lead in the last car standings when I went back to 98. Um, so, and, uh, and I, I wanted to kind of learn more about, you know, that 1990 Daytona 500 win and some of these other teams that he drove for. And, 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 you know, and then of course, uh, yeah, you mentioned, you know, him running for Starcom, uh, and, uh, and then going back to the Daytona 500, unfortunately finishing last in that, um, you know, it just seemed like he just kept popping up over and over again. And so, you know, I kind of wanted to get that set. So by February, yeah, um, you know, when he was getting ready to run the Daytona 500, it's like, this is a perfect opportunity to, you know, set, uh, at least set a goal for a release date by the end of the year. Hadn't, I'd actually received, I've been talking with some publishers and unfortunately a couple of them basically said, well, we don't know if a Derek Cup, Derek Cope book is going to sell. Well, I'd heard the same thing about JD McDuffie and uh, Waldorf Publishing will certainly be the first to tell you uh, that they, <laughs> they were very happy to pick up that book because a lot of people were very interested in the story of JD. Uh, very surprised that people aren't getting the same reaction out of Derek. Uh, but I'm, I'm confident that we're still going to find, you know, somebody interested in it there, but, um, obviously with the new news coming up there with Starcom racing shutting down and, um, you know, also I got actually, I'll, I'll tell you this. I mean, one other thing, you know, talk about, you know, weird overlap there, um, during the race itself, uh, when Quinn Half had the accident about halfway through the Phoenix race, uh, I was in the parking lot, the competitor parking lot with Derek and his wife, Alicia, uh, pulling out a copy of my manuscript from his car. He'd actually taken notes on it um, to uh, give me some more, you know, kind of help me, uh, you know, correct some dates and other information there. And I talked with Alicia and we, she gave me some more information on it. Uh, so uh, I want to definitely make sure that I'm putting all those notes in there too. Uh, so it's, you know, and, and um, you know, as, as sad as it is their team shut down, I think there is an opportunity in there to bring that part into the story as well. And, and um, so uh, so I'm very, I'm very optimistic that, you know, this next round of edits here, uh, I think is going to make the book absolutely ready to go. And I was already feeling good about it before, but Alicia told me, it's like, oh, you got to talk more about like, this is what happened during this DNQ at Daytona, or this is what happened at this race in Phoenix or something. It's like, okay, this is going to be more than just one, one time, uh, sitting here is we're gonna get all this information. So let's set up some Skype calls. And that's kind of what one other thing I'll be working on this off season here and, uh, definitely looking forward to it, but, um, hopefully by that point, I think that's only going to make it, uh, uh, easier to market the book. And hopefully by then we'll be able to reel in a publisher and set it a date there. So no date set yet, um, next year at the absolute earliest, but, um, all these publishers work differently, but, um, I'm very excited about, uh, what we're going to be adding in this next, uh, this next round here. And, um, yeah, I think it'll make it all ready to go. That's just interesting. Uh, nugget. I just thought of, um, first race I ever watched was, uh, I have, I have a video on this on my channel of uh, the 2006 fall race in Talladega. And oh, uh, I think go. Derek, Derek was driving for McLinn racing at the time. And I believe, mm -hmm. I know he started in last place. I believe he, he finished in last as well that day. He um, did. So that was, uh, yeah, that's kind of an interesting connection there, I suppose. But uh, that's right. Yeah. I forgot you did the video on that, right? Cause yeah. you, were, you, were, you did that. So yeah, there you go. Yeah. So yeah, that was, I think that was when Derek set, a single season last place record that that Dave Blaney broke a couple of years later too. So that was yeah, that was a very significant race uh, in last car history. And then of course what happened at the front of the field there. But uh, but yeah, I enjoyed that video. Yeah, yeah, I'm still working. I got a uh, I've got one more plan in that series. I've been pushing aside because I've I've been working on other projects. But uh, 
working on getting my first F1 race video out there. Um, so hopefully sometime this offseason I'll get around to, to rewatching Canada 2014 and uh, we'll get that out there. But um, oh, there we go. You know, I guess on, on that note, Brock, I, I just uh, I want to thank you um, in particular for proofreading the script for my my Panther racing video, because um, that was certainly something that I've worked very hard on, wanted to try to I probably started a little bit too late, to be honest. Um, I obviously wanted wow. to get it out when uh, the uh, the anniversary came up because um, I thought that was a perfect time to release it. So I greatly appreciate you taking a look at the script and uh, suggesting some tweaks here or there. And I'm 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 very happy with how it came out. So uh, I'm I'm very appreciative uh, that you took the time to do that. And of oh, course, for giving welcome. me the giving me the chance to to write for your site as well. So thank you very much. Absolutely. Happy to have you on board for sure. And I'm glad it could be help on your video. I really enjoyed it. I, I, I'm trying to keep spreading the word about it there because I think you filled in some gaps that, that my video and NASCAR man's video didn't really talk about and the whole context of why that win was so meaningful for Dan and, and the fact that it was that, 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 that Dan Weldon and the Panther racing team just continue to kind of be, be um, you know, part of the same story right up to the end, even in Las Vegas itself. Um, I thought you did a great job capturing that. So I think that's, you know, there's, there's, that's, that's one thing that's so encouraging is that so many people were talking about it. And I think in a sense, it was, it was cathartic, I think, for a lot of people that hadn't even wanted to think about it these 10 years. I think a lot of good was done that day and, and you were certainly a part of that. So kudos to you for sure. Yeah. Well, and Vitor as well, you know, I, I don't want to forget about him, you know, in 2008, I remember watching that race too. And, you know, the, sticking with the theme of, of underdogs, you know, and Vitor has got to be one of the, one of the That's best it. drivers, yeah. in my opinion, but never won an IndyCar series race. Um, you know, I think uh, like even, even Marty Reed, when he was calling Hildebrand home on the final lap, he was like, well, Panther racing's finished second twice here with, with Weldon. And, you know, mm -hmm. I'm thinking in my head, well, they, it's actually three in a row now. And of course it became four in a row with, uh, with Hildebrand because uh, Mira had that run where he came so close in 08. So, uh, you know, it's just, it's an interesting it's one of those interesting stretches where, you know, like what are the chances that you would finish in the same position four years in a row, you know, anywhere in the field, let alone, uh, you know, to come oh, yeah. so close to winning it. Um, you know, so su such a shame, shame that they never broke through. But like I, like I mentioned in my video, you know, if you, if you just even swap one of those years, um, you know, and give Panther the win, you know, it's crazy to think about how, how different history might be today and what we'd be, what we'd be looking at there. So like I said, I, I appreciate you taking a look at the script and uh, I'm glad you enjoyed what we were able to put together there. Certainly. Certainly. Yeah. All right. Well, like I said, you know, I'd, I'd love to love to have you back at some point, but uh, thank you so much for, for taking the time to join me tonight. And uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, some of the, some of the projects you have upcoming. And um, like I said, you know, I'm, I'm sure next time we, next time we get together on one of these calls, we'll have a lot to talk about there. So uh Thanks again Absolutely. and uh, enjoy the rest of your night. All right. You as well. Thank you so much for having me on. And uh, yeah, uh, ha uh, happy holidays if I don't uh, see you before then. Yeah, sounds good. <laughs>